why are we still referring to the Warren Commission when we talk about JFK assassination? Because the media still believes it. What's the matter with the media, the mainstream media? Well, this is a very good question. It's a larger question than even the Kennedy killing. The Kennedy killing is a major crime, the biggest one of the American century, in my opinion. Yeah. But there's so many other things that have been covered up. Why some people are, are well, still not convinced? This is a historical problem. Uh, historians will, some of them will admit it gradually, 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 right. but they, once they lock in, it's very hard for a historian to go back. Yeah psychological torture that we're going through at the hands of our own government. <laughs> I know, and it's all legal. They do whatever they want. And the Canadians are just as bad. Oh my God, <laughs> don't get me started. Don't get me started. Oliver Stone is one of my favorite directors. In the 90s, he did the movie called JFK, and 30 years later, he decided to do a documentary about this subject called JFK Revisited. I met him and Jim DiEugenio, his screenwriter, at his house. Oliver, Jim, thanks for accepting my invitation. Today we're talking about uh, the documentary JFK Revisited. So uh, in 1991 came out the movie JFK and 30 years later, so late uh, 2021, you released this documentary. Can you tell us why you decide to make this documentary and how did you work together? How did you meet actually? Well, I guess I should start because I'm, I was there before you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in 91, we, the film was a tremendous surprise hit all around the world. There was no country that didn't go for it. It was amazing. And people were surprised because it was a long film. It was three hours and eight, eight minutes. So a lot of people were quite sh- shocked that we did so well for a long film. It's hard to make money when you make a long film like this. So uh, the picture uh, created a tremendous opposition too, as well as... Uh, enthusiasm. The opposition uh, created the controversy. They called me all kinds of names. As a result, there was the assassination. Congress, under pressure, passed the, uh, uh, the, the uh, assassination, what's it called, the record? The Assassinations Records Review Board. The assassination, these, these uh, bureaucracy talk. Assassination Records Review Board, which is a good, amazing. It was an investigation, essentially, but they didn't have any power or money, big money. They had a few years to run. They didn't really call a lot of people, but they called some ancient figures back. They got a lot of information still, in spite of the circumstances that were set up. Uh, they had some good investigators, am I correct? Yes. And among them was- Doug Horn. Doug Horn. Doug Horn was a ballistics guy. And they existed from, basically worked from 94 to 97, and then- 98. Nine, oh, 94 to 98, and they were closed down. Uh, by Congress because they didn't really want to, they didn't really want to, to, to get into this. It's a messy story. Mm-hmm. And they found a lot of stuff. They got a lot of documents out. How many? About 2 million, 2 million pages. 2 million documents. Following your movie. Yes. Am I correct? Uh, yeah. 2 million All pages. this is new information in the, in this documentary we made. So what was the story? Well, how much was left that, that we know did not come out? As of today, 15,000 pages. 15,000 pages. Yes. Okay. I want to make the point that as of today, it's still a mess because they are out of, they were, they're breaking the law. And there's been a lawsuit filed uh, out of, uh, by, uh, give us the details. Bill Simpich up in Northern California has filed a lawsuit. Who's breaking the law when you said they're breaking Breaking the the law? They were supposed to release document, the whole thing. Back when? In 2017. 
That was when, the thing. And Trump, Trump did was not. Suppo- yeah, he, he did not. He broke the law when he did that. Then Biden came into office, and he never, he never, he never, he never carried through exactly. what he was supposed to do by law. Instead, he declared that this was a COVID emergency, mm-hmm. and <laughs> delayed it further. Okay, but truthfully. This is a violation of what was intended by Congress and by the American people. But what happened, though? Why did Trump change his mind? Because he tweeted about it. Well, that was a, you'd have to talk to Trump because yeah. I'm not sure he remembers much, but he was boasting about this. You know, Trump was like he was boasting that he would solve the JFK case and yeah, clean it all up. And exactly. Of course, when the push came to shove and it was at the 11th hour, he got some kind of pressure. And he backed off. Do we know what? He got visits from CIA and FBI, whatever. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But he just backed off and he he, he sealed it. Hmm. For how long? And then Biden didn't do anything at all except declare this COVID thing. (laughs) So here we are three years later. Trump did it twice. He delayed it twice. First, he said he was going to delay it for six months. Mm -hmm. Then when that was over, he said he was going to delay it for another two and a half years. (laughs) <laughs> How do you explain that, though? Well, what, what usually happens is that these, the F, like he said, the FBI and the CIA goes into the Oval Office and they essentially say something like, look, if you do this, you're going to expose these operations. You're going to expose our agents in place. There's going to be blood on your hands. Right. And we will tell the media about it. All these are 60 years later. These agents are dead. <laughs> exactly. These so what's CIA, the big deal? We are concerned not with living agents. We're concerned with CIA agents who are working around the Cuban operations. The, right. There was a tremendous operation, a huge army of people down in Florida and yeah. various places trying to get rid of Castro yeah. and task forces. This was a big operation out of Miami, also Dallas, Houston, New Orleans. There was, it was a network of Cuban groups that were sometimes in opposition to each other. Long they gone. All, They've been gone forever. So what's the big deal? Why can't we know now in 2020, 2025? Well, you're, asked, you're naive. Why can't uh, we know? I what know. if they came out and said, okay, well, yeah, he was killed by a, a bunch of crazy Cubans and CIA agents who lost their minds back in 1960. <laughs> well, at least you we think know they the would truth. Do that? I you wish... think the government no, admits anything that no. could be in any way make it vulnerable? No. It's very, the government is very, very, very fake. It's like an army, the, the Pentagon. If you get the truth out of the Pentagon, God bless you. You, yeah. uh, you can't, you know, on, for example, the Pentagon, when people are killed by friendly fire, which happens a lot, I saw combat a lot, I would say 15 to 20 percent of the people in Vietnam were killed that way. Well, they still are covering it up because they don't admit friendly fire. Everybody gets into trouble. Yeah. And uh, the, the kid who got killed out, out of uh, the Arizona Cardinals, uh, the, the defensive back, uh, he was a very... I, mean, I can't remember his name. I know you were talking about. Pat Tillman. That's it, yeah. He was great. He, he was killed by friendly fire, and they buried it. Buried no one knows it. about yeah, it. Well, because they don't want to get sued by the families. For sure. And, of course, they don't even pay insurance when you get killed by friendly fire. Wow. It's the same kind of mentality that right. you can't admit. This is a very embarrassing thing. President Kennedy was killed by friendly fire, and right in the heart of Dallas, okay? That's, Terrible. There's no question about that. And See, in the, in the film, we had this wonderful exchange between him and John Thunheim who was the uh, chairman of the review board. And John Thunheim tells this story about the first time the CIA came in. Mm-hmm. And, he, and Thunheim put this document on the screen. Mm-hmm. And he says, what on earth could you object to? 
in releasing that document in the 90s. And the CIA guy goes, he paused for about 15 seconds. He goes, I'm not sure, but give me about two more minutes and I'll think of something. You say that in the documentary. Yeah, we see, see th that. that's yeah. the kind of arrogance. But I'll tell you a story that we didn't put in. The FBI came in and the FBI liaison came in with an FBI lawyer, okay? And Tunheim did the same thing. He goes, we're gonna declassify this thing unless you give us a rock solid argument against, against it, all right? And the FBI liaison turns to the FBI lawyer and he goes, can they really do that? He goes, yes, they can. They do whatever, yeah. right? They do whatever <laughs> See, they this want. is the kind of, and I'm sure Oliver will agree with it. This is just the kind of arrogance, right? you know, that they've had about this secrecy for years on end. And here mm -hmm. comes the review board mm -hmm. and says, no, no, we are going to declassify this stuff. Well, they did. For, yes, they did. The majority yeah. of files were declassified. So yeah. that, that's good news. But here we are in 2022. And these guys have to file a lawsuit. To right. get the rest of the document. We have to sue the president of the United States. It's insane. You know? So how did you... Okay, so let's talk a little bit about you, Jim, because um, not everybody knows you. So you have a website called Kennedy's and King. Yeah, Kennedy'sandKing.com. Can yeah. you tell us more about that and your yeah. mission? So we, we felt that there wasn't anybody who was publicizing these new documents that were coming out of the archives. In fact, that's one of the reasons we made the movie. It's because mm -hmm. the media didn't acknowledge any of this bombshell stuff that was coming out of these documents that the review board was releasing. When we made the movie, it was off Jim Garrison's book, On the Trail of the Assassins. I wanted to make a dramatic movie, like somewhat like Z, which was one of my favorite fictions in film school, the, the Costa Gavras film about the Greek, uh, about the Greek uh, coup d'etat back in 1967 similar structure right so i made a tense very tense as, as tense as i could i made a suspenseful movie i wasn't thinking about documents this and okay. i did a lot of research but you know research you gotta when you make a movie like this you let it let it all go you gotta make a movie that's exciting yeah okay yeah. i make the movie and then at the end of the whole process and it's just a very tough process our publicist steve rivers who's no longer with us said let's Let's make a point at the end of the movie. Let's put a little uh, signifier saying that all the files have not been released. I have never thought of that. I mean, mm -hmm. okay, sure, we know that this is a this is there's a million files that have not been released. So we put it at the end of the movie as an afterthought. Yeah. That little disclaimer was seen by the audience and provoked their outrage at, uh -huh. at the government. It, so basically, that comes out of a afterthought. Wow. Fascinating. See, he, yeah, see, his film, that trailer, that crawler at the end, yeah. that shocked a lot of people. Yeah, and in fact, I'll, I'll tell you uh, exactly what happened, is that Louis Stokes, who was the chairman of the House Select Committee, went to see the movie with his daughter. Okay? And then after the movie, as they're walking out, she turns to him and says, Dad, why'd you do that? <laughs> what? The children will change the fate of this. <laughs> and so he went in to see the review board, wow. okay? And he said, if you do any special investigation, do one of the medical evidence, because nobody was happy on, the re on our Stokes committee. Stokes had been on the House. Yeah. On no one House was committee. happy with the investigation that we did. So you started in... When did you start investigating? We, th this, th this started back in the 90s. Okay. We, we had originally a... a paper publication, okay. and then we turned it into a uh, HTML, you know, 
online thing. Okay. 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 And so we really wanted to uh, publicize these new documents. Right. Since the, ma the mainstream media all but ignored them. Okay. And so what we were trying to show in a roundabout way that all the criticism that Oliver took, mm -hmm. you know, for a period of about, what, 10 months, it was nonstop all the way to the Academy Awards. All right. And so uh, I see as a sidelight, that movie should have won five or six Academy Awards. Okay. Because <laughs> of the bad publicity, only won two. All right. But uh, we wanted to show that he wasn't in left field. Yeah. You know, he was somewhere like on the infield. He was like playing shortstop. After the movie came out, you can imagine the amount of mail I got. I mean, boxes and boxes. Yeah. Uh, 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 some good, some horrible. But mm -hmm. it was quite... And Jim was another one of these uh, right. people who really had followed the assassination for a long time. And this group is very important to the structure of what's happened because they are the citizens of America. Are mm -hmm. Without government support are the ones who cared. And they... They cared so much that they devoted years and years of their lives yeah. uh, to working uh, in this sort of informal network that has grown up of uh, researchers. Yeah. And they check each other out. And they obviously, there's people who don't agree, and there's all kinds of wild things that get into there. But generally speaking, there's a body of research that is pretty solid. And I think Jim, in many ways, represents the mainstream of that. And when I read the various, the various researchers, what they wrote, I, I, I settled on Jim as a new generation, a younger person. He wasn't like, some of these people are, are, were very old. Mark Lane was one of the best. He was the original. And I very much admired Mark. And I think he was right in the very beginning. He got it on day one or right. day two. But in this generation, Jim was the most, was comfortable. And I felt like we could really make something work with him. He worked with, uh, we had a researcher on the film, Jane Rusconi, who was not as expert as Jim, but she did a great job. And Jim took over in the sense of continuing to do the research after the movie had come out. And there was a lot of things happening after the movie. You can imagine all the, all the villains who saw the movie and all, who said, oh shit. Or, <laughs> or the doctors who said, oh, I wish I had been more honest or this or that. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, a lot of people did start to talk like, Charles Crenshaw, the medical doctor at uh, Parkland, wrote the wonderful book about right. very determined to show that even at Parkland, they knew that he'd been shot from the rear. So in 1991, the movie came out and I didn't live in the U.S. back then. But what was the impact it had on public opinion about JFK assassination? I've said this before and I'll say it again. No film in the history of cinema ever had the socio-political impact the JFK did. And I, I'll stand by that. Not even Platoon? Okay, yeah. no, nothing no? ever had. I mean, when you can, he was getting, uh, can you imagine this? His movie's not out yet. They were attacking him seven months before, before the movie came out. Wow. Okay. This is because the media has been complicit in this assassination. And I'm sorry to, it's, it's part of waking That's up. That's very important though. Very important. Yeah. The media, why did they, from day one, why did they fall for this? Why exactly. did they go along with the story? Exactly. The Warren Report comes out and already you have the New York Times in advance getting copies and putting out this bogus thing that the Warren Commission is legitimate, believable, and so forth and so on. And when everybody gets like that and the New York Times does that and the Washington Post does that, it's very hard to be uh, 
to be a journalist working upstream. In other words, you're going against your editors. Yeah. You're going against. You can't. You don't give a shot, and nobody will give you space. No. So, the opposition to the uh, Warren Commission was pushed to the side and to the margins, mm -hmm. and they've been in the margins ever since. And every time some piece of new, a lead comes out, the the media buries it and says, you know, oh, this is all. You know, another another story, and a lot of good stuff has come out. That's what's important, good. and that's why we made the documentary because mm -hmm. there's too much valuable stuff in this ARRB report, much too much that was never seen by the public. So in our film, you will see some of that, not all of it, and you will get what they learned, and this is this is crucial mm -hmm. because this really reopens the case. But yeah. they don't want to reopen the case, and they never will. They never will. Who's they? They <laughs> is the Justice Department. Right. I mean, it's generally speaking part of the system. And to, give you, to give you one example yeah. of that, he got hammered. Kim Fletcher Prouty and John Newman got blistered because of this. Well, I don't think it was new, but it was relatively, um, you know, fresh. This whole thesis about Vietnam, mm -hmm. because what oh, he was yeah. saying in his film mm -hmm. was that unlike what the historians tell you, Johnson did not continue Kennedy's policy in Vietnam. He reversed Kennedy's policy in Vietnam. So that was news to public, American public. Yes, that was to the general public. 95% of them never even heard of this. Okay. But then it wasn't that he just had the evidence from Fletcher Prouty and John Newman. Then in 1997, the review board declassified a whole set of documents from what's called the SecDef meeting of May 1963. You can't get any better than this. McNamara says, I want all the withdrawal schedules handed into me right now, mm -hmm. okay? They hand them all in. McNamara leaves through them, turns to, the, <laughs> turns to all the people there from the State Department, CIA, okay, and, uh, and Pentagon and says, this isn't fast enough. We're getting out sooner, all right? Now, I don't see how much better you can get than that, except what he questioned John Newman about in the film, I think it's in the long version of the film, where Newman actually listened to the debrief McNamara did when he was leaving office. And he says that he and Kennedy had decided that all America can do is advise and we can train and we can supply them with equipment. We cannot fight the war for them. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if we're winning or if we're losing, it's in the we're version. getting out at that time period, yeah. okay? Now, really, how do you get any more convincing that kind of stuff? <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, that's a good question. Why, why some people are, are well, still not convinced? This is a historical problem. Uh, the historians will, some of them will admit it gradually, 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 right. but they, once they lock in, it's very hard for a historian to go back. Yeah. Uh, would you say, I mean, you know, you've read most of the, work on Vietnam. Yeah. I, I haven't read it all, but it's yeah. pretty sickening when you see that they make a line of continuation from Eisenhower to Kennedy to uh, Johnson. The rap on, on Kennedy is, yeah, he did send advisors, 15,000 advisors or to Vietnam, okay? Because he had to. He was under pressure, tremendous right. pressure, and he didn't know what he was getting into yet. Mm -hmm. the, thing, the situation in Southeast Asia was not clear. Kennedy had a bigger problem with Laos than he did with Vietnam. So he was in, he was, he said, he stuck to one principle, which was what he learned as a young man. No, he didn't want American boots on the ground. He didn't want American interference. He knew in his heart that interference would backfire. Right. And this was true about Africa. This was true about 
other parts of Asia. Yeah. See, what, what Oliver's film did is it opened up a window, okay? Well, wait a minute. Maybe Vietnam's not the only place. <laughs> and so that's why in the film, we did Indonesia also, because I believe the same thing happened there. Interesting. Okay. That's why you decided to bring Indonesia in the document. We brought in like the, also the Middle East, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. See, we spent a lot of time in the uh, long version on the Algeria speech, yeah. which I've always believed is just... You know, that's a beacon in the night. You know, Which here's one is that? The Algeria speech. Kennedy's Algeria speech, where he's saying, we shouldn't be doing this. We should not be backing up this French empire in the north coast of Africa. Don't we see what just happened in Vietnam three years ago? Look what happened in 1954. We want to do this all over again? No, we don't. Yeah. Okay. And that speech was relatively ignored also. And I'm really glad that we got one of the best guys, uh, Richard Mahoney, uh, who's a dean at North Carolina State, to talk about that. He was very eloquent, very articulate. You know, one of our best interviews. That so, we young, did. so some of the historians are changing, mm -hmm. but they're not, they're not writing in the, in the mainstream. They're, they're not given the editorials space that the usual suspects are. Yeah. It's the same as in Casablanca, actually. It's the same old story. <laughs> What's the matter with the Fight media? Fight for love and glory. What? What's the matter with the media, the mainstream media, though? Well, this is a very good question. It's a larger question than even the Kennedy killing. The Kennedy killing is a major crime, the biggest one of the American century, in my opinion. Yeah. But there's so many other things that have been covered up, exactly. including, of course, the origins of the Vietnam War, which yeah. came out much later after we'd been in battle. We know now about Johnson lying to get into the war. We know that Kennedy was wanted to get out and was planning to, but he needed. he wanted to get elected to that second term. That's what gave him the... The, the, it gave him the confidence and the strength to really make the final, the final pullout. And aside from Vietnam, there's other secrets, empire secrets. This is an empire we're talking about. This is a huge empire. And there's things going on all the time everywhere in the world. So it's, not, it's out of control in a sense. I, you know, nobody can police all the information that's there. But we can start. And the historians are, and the American historians are horrible in their lack in their negligence on this issue i mean you take the top people they all they sit there for years they write these books that are well reviewed they're not getting it they're missing the big picture how is it possible though because i mean when we watch your documentary well, Eloise, it's i think let me let me take this back a little bit yeah when we were making the film mm -hmm. when did you start making oh god when did, when did we start it was the documentary yeah i forgot 2019. About two years off and on. Okay. And he called me into the, his office and he said words to the effect, Jim, this movie's not going to make any noise. And I said, why do you say that? Oliver said that? Yeah. And I said, why do you say that? He goes, because I know the way the media works. Right. Okay. And so when, what, what reaction, reaction in America we did get from the big guys, like the Rolling Stone and the Washington Post, you know, was negative. And the reason I, 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 I've thought about this a lot, okay, you don't want to admit that, number one, you blew the story about the murder of President Kennedy. Mm -hmm. That's number one. They did. But number two, you don't want to admit that three months after the 26 volumes of the Warren Commission were published, Johnson was sending the first combat troops into Vietnam, and nobody connected those two dots, right. okay? You know, nobody did, mm -hmm. you know? 
And, and so what you get today, people like Robert Dalek, people like Frederick Logaval, you know, and they essentially, um, if you want to get a, a good selling book out there on President Kennedy, okay, you have to, you know, do these kinds of things. You have to kind of like, uh, let's say, um, not tell the whole story, all right? This is very, this is important to realize. This is a commercial empire. It's, right. it, it has to make money. Right. It's, the empire is based on money, selling arms, mm -hmm. as many arms as you can, keep expanding. War is good, creative yeah. destruction, they call it. You, you, you wreck a place, you go and you rebuild it. You make money on both sides. Mm -hmm. In wrecking it, you make money because of the arms. In rebuilding it, you make money. So there's a, there's a kind of a cycle here that's going on. And I think America's very much behind an engine, is the engine of yeah. this creative destruction going on all over the world, whether it's uh, Bosnia, uh, whether it's Africa, whether it's Asia, Middle East above all, mm -hmm. Iraq, a fortune. And now there's going to be another fortune made in Ukraine. So this is, is an ongoing sickness. Yeah. And if, unless we pick out the pattern, we're, we're, we're really being bad historians. You've got to find the pattern here. But this, it's so impossible when you get a media that is locked in. And I say it's a very conservative media. It's very conservative. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to get new ideas into this. And we've been the victims of that. So as a result, the film, he, I was right. He was, uh, the film never got mainstream attention. It was, yeah, it was some, aired on eight, there was some negative mention in uh, two, two organs of it. But the, majors, uh, the major publications never really took the film seriously. They, they buried it. They didn't talk about it. We sold it on our own. We had Showtime sold it. And we also went to all the shows we could get on. And that, that's mostly alternative media. Right. And, you know, it's tiring to go on, on that trail. I've been on that trail before with Untold History of the United States, yeah. which was my 12-hour version in yeah. 2012. And uh, I've been on that trail before with Putin in interviews. I would like to know, both of you, John F. Kennedy was super important in your life. So when did he enter your life and why? What does he represent? Why is he so important to you? I, my father was a Republican. Uh, so I grew up under that influence. And, uh, and later in my life, after Vietnam, in the late 70s, I started to hear the other side and understand it because of my experience in Vietnam where I saw the abuse, uh, the abuse of humanity. That, uh, the, uh, it was a wrong, the war was wrong, wrong, wrong. And we could tell from the beginning, most infantry guys who were intelligent were sensitive, but uh, we kept going. So it was a huge, huge debacle. Coming back from that, though, I was in shock. I didn't really understand the implications of it until late 70s and then oh, through the 80s, reading more and more. And then when Garrison's book uh, was shown to me in 89, or in 87, rather, there was another, another uh, brick in the wall right. where I'm saying, you know, this is far more delusional. We're delusional in this country. And I began to work at this thing on a big board. But really, I continued past the assassination into the 2000s when I worked with Peter Kuznick over at, uh, Washington, at uh, American University. He's a historian on the untold history of the United States, which goes into 1898 to Obama, which shows you the interventions, the mentality of the empire growing bigger and bigger and worse and worse. So uh, my interest in Kennedy is emotionally was when he died, I was like everyone else shocked. 
but I didn't have any attachment to his political uh, program. And he was seen by my father as a, uh, as a liberal kind of uh, uh, a guy who would spend government money and spend money. My father was a, a online Republican, intelligent Eisenhower man, you know, so he, they didn't like Kennedy. Nixon was his man. I made a movie about yes, Nixon too. So I'm working out my, uh, my and I did my, mix, my Nixon movie was not all bad on him. It shows a human being. The same is true about Kennedy. I've learned more and more about him, not just his death, but also his life. And I think it's not over for me. I may make another film about Mr. Kennedy's life, these last, his last months, let's say, oh, wow. because it's an interesting life. And he's a beautiful figure in the sense of his idealism, but tempered by his sense of what he could get done. He had very practical instincts about getting elected. Like Roosevelt, like Franklin was, let's say Franklin Roosevelt was really his mentor. Roosevelt got four terms. Kennedy was thinking in terms of power. How do I consolidate this power? How do I get things done? How do I get out of Vietnam? How do I change the compass of our relationships with all these countries, including, oh, by the way, I forgot South America, Alliance for Progress. Yeah. He was trying to change so much in foreign affairs where he could really move. That was his specialty. Maybe a little too much. Domestic affairs, he was very good too. Yeah. He was passing the Civil Rights Bill, trying to get it through. And his death actually expedited it. But and that's another issue historically. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, so what does he represent to you? I love the man now. Yeah, I understand him. Yeah. I, I appreciate him as the last American leader who spoke about peace. Exactly. Not, nobody in our, none of our presidents since Kennedy have been able to convince me that they're serious about peace. I think Kennedy was killed because he, talk, he took it too seriously. He was talking about complete detente. He was talking about demilitarizing this country. He was talking about really putting the money into this country, into getting the black people yeah. a, fair, a fair equity in this, in, the, in this experiment we call America. And he was talking <laughs> about changes on every front. Mm -hmm. So he represent peace. What? Was he like, when you were in Quebec City, you said that he, he represents peace and that peace died yes. that but day. I, I, I want to emphasize that how much opposition there is to that point of view. There, really? there is a whole liberal segment that says Kennedy was just a co-warrior. He came oh. in, we hear his speeches, and you can look at it from that, from that perspective, perspective, through that lens, because you'll only, if you pick out the, the moments where he's trying to work, with the, work inside a system, mm -hmm. it's highly aggressive, the yeah. system that requires you to be bombing, requires you to react tough. Yeah. You can't be soft to be a liberal. Yeah. So he had to play the game. That's it. But they pick out... They pick it out like Noam Chomsky types, right. but it's unfair to his overall intention, mm -hmm. which we deal with. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, say what something about, you, about Jim? that. Yeah. See, um, my view of Kennedy had been more or less the standard view of the, uh, like Arthur Schlesinger, Ted Sorensen, that he was a slightly left of center, uh, moderate liberal. Okay, then one day I was in a uh, bookstore down in San Diego, and I picked up this book, JFK Ordeal in Africa, which had this picture of Kennedy. His hand is over his face. He's grimacing with the receiver in his hand. This is the moment he finds out that Patrice Lumumba is killed, yeah. has been killed. And I looked at this picture and I said, 
why is this guy weeping yeah. over the death of a black revolutionary in Africa? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so this very much, because I knew Eisenhower would be jumping out of his chair. Okay, right. Johnson would probably be pretty happy too, mm -hmm. you know, but, but here's Kennedy, Not you know, happy at all. Uh, very unhappy about it. Okay, so this is what I tried to find out. Mm -hmm. And I spent literally years mm -hmm. trying to find it out. Yeah. What, how did this happen? And, and so in the film, we, we, we talk about how Kennedy's meeting in 1951 with Edmund Gullion, and I should also add Seymour Topping. He was a New York Times uh, journalist. And they both told him the same thing. Mm -hmm. France is not going to win this war. Okay. And this had a momentous impact on Kennedy. And it, it, he began to be too out there for the liberals. When he made his Algeria speech, he was attacked by Dean Acheson, the Democratic Secretary of State, and Adlai Stevenson, who had been running for president twice. Mm. So when you start getting attacked from what's perceived as the... Uh, the, <laughs> the democratic mainstream, then you're really starting to kind of be out there. You are. All yeah. right. So to me, what, what, what Kennedy symbolized was one guy trying to go ahead and be true to his own instincts mm -hmm. about what is best for the United States and also the common man. Mm -hmm. All right. Kennedy, at the time of his death, was trying to get Medicare through. He was trying to get the civil rights program through. Yeah. And he was also talking, if you can believe this, he was talking about universal health care. Okay. There's a speech he makes. He goes, look, almost every country in Western Europe has this. Why does it have to be so strange in this country? And he was promoting nuclear energy and condemning nuclear weapons. Weapons. Yeah, we'll talk now, about it later. People get that confused. Yeah, but because it's nuclear, so people are panicking. He was a very progressive. Figure. Very progressive, exactly. A guy named Roger Matson wrote a book called Stealing the Bomb. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a good and story. And he, he interviewed all these people in the CIA. And in, in that book, he says, they all told me nobody was more anti-nuclear proliferation than John F. Kennedy was. It, this was really in a very important issue with him. Mm. Okay. And he took on Israel. He took on Ben-Gurion in Israel because they were building a bomb that they'd stolen from us. And he really wanted to put a stop to that, but he unfortunately died before. And Johnson carried through, knew about it, and let it go until oh. Israel had the bomb by, what, 68? Yes. And uh, even then, in 68, uh, Johnson shut the Pentagon up. He said, don't, we're not going to announce this. So the American people won't know that Israel has the bomb. Mm -hmm. That's insane. So let's talk about the actual uh, forensics part of, um, of the oh, documentary. Here we go. Now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm staying out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> you are? Okay, he's the pro. He um, actually knows this pretty well. You seem to he's, know he's really her. kind of modest about that. You know. Well, uh, I, my memory. Okay, go ahead. Okay, well, what I want to know, because there's so much there, and we don't want to spend three hours on that, but um, <laughs> let's watch the documentary. But let's say I'm buying the official narrative. I do believe in the lone assassin theory. What would you bring to the table to at least make me doubt that maybe there was a plot? Well, what I tried to do in the film, writing the script, was we concentrated on three. These were going to be my keystones right. that I was going to build an archway across. 
Because okay. you're the screen right, uh, the, you wrote the screenplay, is that how you Yes. It? Yeah, okay. Yeah. One of them was the fact that, and this is why we needed Doug Horn in the film. When he interviewed the so-called official autopsy photographer, okay. That's very interesting. He, him and Jeremy Gunn, who was the chief counsel, put up the pictures of Kennedy's brain that are in the National Archives, all right? And the guy, John Stringer, looked at the, he actually walked to, over to the photographs and he started examining the numbers at the bottom, et cetera. Okay, and he says, this, this isn't the process I used. This is a press pack. That's why they're numbered like this, because they come in a pack. Right. And then he says, this is ANSCO film. I, I don't use, use that. I use Kodak. Wow. Okay. And so how then- How long ago was it? Like, how long after? Like, how many years had passed since he this had- This is like 96, 97. 96. So it's yeah. a long time after the assassination. Right. Okay. And so Jeremy Gunn asked him, are you ready to say that you did not take these pictures? And he said, if that's ANSCO and that's a press pack, I didn't take these pictures. Okay, and so I wanted to make this, a, and I, I really like the way Oliver handled this, okay? It is a keystone of the film. Because then we talk about how could this be Kennedy's brain? It's 1,500 grams in weight. The Explain average that. weight for a brain is 1,330 grams. So you're saying a guy who got his head blown off with all this blood and tissue, you know, flying all in Gone. the air, okay, in the back seat on his wife, Jackie Kennedy. She's reaching out the back of the car, trying to grab his brains, which are in the back of the car. And then she brings them to the hospital and gives it to the doctor. You're gonna say that that brain would be larger in mass? So a brain okay. that has a, a big part missing was still bigger than the average. Yes. That's what right. we understand. And so this is one, and I, I, again, I, I really like the way Oliver handled this in the film. Okay. Uh, then the second thing was going to be the three secretaries on the fourth right. floor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Garner, Adams, and Stiles. All right. Whose testimonies were not in the Warren Commission. One of them was. One, one of them. them. One of them. Okay. One of them was. Distorted, right. Yeah, and they distorted what she said. Exactly. <laughs> Vicky yeah. The whole issue was how could you? They they made them took them in more than a minute to get down to the stairs. As you know, they they ran two of them ran down the stairs right away because they were excited about this whole thing, and one of them stayed up and watched them go down. And the two that ran down the stairs didn't see anybody on the stairs right away. How does Oswald go from the sixth floor to the to the second floor in uh, in those thirty seconds? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. No or even answer. in the first minute. And he has to stash the rifle and run across that big floor with all the cartons there. Right. It's not that simple. No. How, how, how could they not have seen him? Mm -hmm. Especially with Garner staying on the fourth floor. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now, another thing about this, you know, I've been on those stairs, so has he, because when he shot the movie. See, those steps are not what you get in a modern office building, hmm. you know, which are kind of short and... Kind of, they usually have some cloth over them or something. Those are the old style rickety wooden steps you've seen in Western movies. It's hard enough to believe mm -hmm. that they would not have seen him. It's almost impossible to believe mm -hmm. they would not have heard him, okay? And so, and we go into what they did to Vicki Adams to neutralize her testimony, yeah. all right? That's how bad the Warren Commission was. Well, the only fact that there is a cover-up around this should tell you there is something fishy. I mean, yes. it's pretty obvious that they covered up the story. Yes. They changed testimonies. They... So, 
so to me, there is so many, so many proofs that you bring to the table. Why are we still referring to the Warren Commission when we talk about JFK assassination? Because the media still believes it. So this is like <laughs> the, the mainstream media story. still stands by the Warren Commission forever. Like it's never yeah. going to change. Yeah. What what what's it going to take? You know. Well, as I said to you earlier, it would be an admission that right. there was something fishy about the whole thing, and they can't do that. So you you really believe there then it's never going to happen? It's easier to lock. Uh, when years go by, it's easier to lock arms and just keep to your position. Our official position is he was killed by a lone assassin. End of story. End of story. That was day one. Right. That was J. Edgar Hoover, uh, lone assassin. Because the reason, the motive apparently was Johnson was very worried about a war with Cuba and or the Soviet Union. Because if there had been any kind of other people involved, it, it pointed, he thought, to the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. which I don't know how he can get there. Because why would the Soviet Union kill Kennedy? He was there. He was there. If anything, he was reaching out for the Soviet Union, and he gave a beautiful speech about the, the, the sacrifices of the Soviet Union in World War II. He was talking to Khrushchev. I don't, there's no motive there. Right. Johnson was out of his... Johnson, I, there's, John, I don't think Johnson was involved in the murder, but there's something very awful the way he handled the cover-up. Right. Johnson fell for the CIA story coming out of Mexico City. Can you tell right. us more about that? that? Oswald, yeah, Oswald supposedly visited the Cuban embassy and the Soviet embassy. And when he's at the Soviet embassy, he met with Valery Kostikov, who was supposed to be part of uh, the KGB elimination undercover as a state, as a, as a uh, diplomat. He was really part of the KGB uh, Department 13, which was supposed to be elimination of, op of the opposition. Mm -hmm. And so this story, which has come into, let's put it this way, a lot of disbelief these days right. that it really was true. Mm -hmm. Okay, this was used. Now, so the question becomes, did Johnson really believe this? Because see, at the same time, the CIA is giving him this story. The FBI, by way of Jagger Hoover, is saying, wait a minute, we got this tape from Mexico City. The guys down in Dallas questioning Oswald have heard the tape. They say the voice on the tape is not, <laughs> does not sound like Oswald. Mm -hmm. And then he says, and we got this picture up here, this is not Oswald either. Okay, so the question becomes, did Johnson really believe this? Yeah. You know, I mean, when he was getting these differing points of view, mm -hmm. you know? We'll never know. No. Well, he needed something to get this behind him. He had to yes. legitimize his presidency quickly, wanted to make it solid. He doesn't want any questions about his, his, his uh, becoming president. Right. So he right away get the story out. J. Edgar Hoover says, three bullets, one assassin. That's it. And, and he's a work. communist. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And make, make it work. It's so like that... Hillary Clinton after the election saying, the Russians stole the election with Donald <laughs> Trump. I mean, it's just blame the Russians for everything. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're it's responsible the same old story. for a lot. Russiagate is just as bad as uh, JFK cover-up. Yeah. And re remember what Alan Dulles said when he was on the Warren Commission. <laughs> and they said, uh, do we want to publish all this stuff? And he goes, go ahead and publish it. Nobody reads anymore. <laughs> I love that. There's, there's a few university professors who will read it. Did he but, really say that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but
but nobody else is going to read it. A lovable man. And then Jim <laughs> to Garrison said, "To a certain degree, he's tr he's right. He's right. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, that's the sad part. Yeah. Um, well, what about uh, more forensics? So you were telling us about three keystones. So yes, and then we were going to use CE three nine nine. Okay. Can you tell us? Commonly about known that? as the magic bullet, and um, Cyril Wepp does a wonderful talk in the film. The forensic pathologist out of uh, out of Pittsburgh did a wonderful talk about. See, what we wanted to concentrate on was number one: could a projectile that went through two people and did all the damage that the Warren Commission said could it emerge in such an intact, you know, composition Justine. as as it looks like in the film? Mm -hmm. All right, and that's when we put Joseph Dolce in there, who actually worked for the Warren Commission, mm. and he said, look. We fired dozens and dozens of these bullets through animal corpses. Okay, none of them came out, you know. Only one wound, yeah. and, and then but, you get seven yeah. with the magic okay, bullet. Okay, as, as Oliver did so well in JFK, this bullet supposed to went through two people. It was supposed to have smashed two bones. Right. Okay, you know, a rib and a radius, or uh, excuse me, the, a the wrist bone, yeah. okay? And it's supposed to have then turned and entered into uh, Connolly's left thigh, all right? Could it really have done all this, all right, making seven wounds in two people and emerge in the condition it did? I don't think so. Well, the only fact that we're talking about it and we're asking if it could have happened to me is blowing my mind. Of course not. <laughs> I mean, it's the common sense, period. <laughs> And then the other thing we did, we, and, we, and then I was so glad to get Henry Lee in the film. Mm -hmm. Henry Lee is probably the most illustrious um, criminalist in the United States, maybe the world. Wow. Okay. All right. And he was talking about chain of custody. Yeah. Okay. And that little speech he gives, it's about 30 seconds long, is worth the whole movie. Okay. The way he does it with that accent and that very calm demeanor about... It begins at the crime scene, not the police department, at the crime scene. And then you go to the police department, everything has to be checked in, and you gotta put your name on it, day and time, okay? Then it goes into the evidence room. And again, it has to be checked in again. And then it was checked out again. Everything has to be out in the open. And if you don't do that, if you don't do that, you run the risk of the defense trying to get it declared inadmissible, all right? And by the way, he was a captain in Taiwan. I didn't know this until I interviewed him. I did a pre-interview with him out at Malibu, okay? He was a captain in the police force in Taiwan for five years. And when he said that, I said, then you must know all about chain of custody. Of course. Okay, and so we got him, yeah. you know, to appear in the film and talk about it. And, and uh, I think Brian Edwards was the other guy. He used to be a policeman. So we tried to get professional people yeah. who are actually in the field talking mm -hmm. about these subjects. Experts yes. who know what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So at least when we watch this documentary, we feel like we it sheds light onto what maybe we'll never officially know, but at least it feels like we, we have answers. And that feels good. Because for those of us who want to know the truth, it is very frustrating to be to feel like we're being lied to all the time. <laughs> 
Yes, All you the are. time. <laughs> yes, this is so frustrating. This is a, a, a psychological torture that we're going through at the hands of our own government. <laughs> I know, and it's all legal. They do whatever they want. And the Canadians are just as bad. Oh my God, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Um, yeah, it's been really rough lately. America wants to go here. Okay, we're... Here we come. Uh, yeah, I know. We'll send troops over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's interesting to see how the Kennedys were dangerous to the establishment. Yes. Not only John it's F. Kennedy. It's a war machine because that's where the money is. So why were they so dangerous? Why oh, were they on. a danger to the power elite? Come on. Do you saying? think Robert Kennedy was going to reopen the files? He was going to go into it again. I mean, he, that's the great untold thing because, of course, they won't say he was really committed to it, but he was. And his son is, various people have convinced me that Robert Kennedy was not fooling around. He wanted to go in and really get back into this case. Mm. Not the only thing he wanted to do, he wanted civil rights. He had a whole, whole agenda, a progressive agenda. He was a very important figure. But uh, believe me, he was attorney general. He knew that he couldn't do anything after Johnson came in. They cut his balls off, basically. And he didn't want to. Also, he was very, he was grieving. It was very painful for him. At the same time, and he didn't support the Garrison trial at all. He was, on the contrary, he worked hard against it. Why? Which is because Gar he thought Garrison was a cowboy and shooting, uh, shooting too many loose, loose cannons with, without, really? without backup. And there is some truth to that. But on the other hand, Garrison did have some very solid stuff did. that did come out in the trial. Right. So Bo Bobby was being deceived by some of the people around him mm. who didn't like Jim, like Walter Sheridan, mm. who didn't like what Jim Garrison was doing. Okay. But he always had an open mind about, you know, maybe there is something there. All right. See, the other thing, uh, I think what... Well, for the first thing he said was they. Yes. Yeah. In the, long version, right. in the long version of the film, we have a lot of this in there. See, uh, David Talbot, who's one of our main interview subjects, did a book about this called Brothers. Brothers. Okay. And Very he outlines all the things that Bobby Kennedy did that day and how he never lost interest in what had really happened to his brother. And he was now, once on the eve of the presidency, he was going to try and reopen the case. The other thing that Bo the death of Bobby Kennedy caused was the extension of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Bobby Kennedy in 1968 was about as radical as you can get <laughs> and still be in the arena. That's how far out he was getting. Right. Okay, and this jihad against the Vietnam War. Okay, you know, he was getting out one way or the other. And so his assassination solved two problems. Number one, re no reopening of the Kennedy case. And number two, we can extend the Vietnam War now. And it's all about money at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. So let's close with that. I would like to hear you, in your opinion, who did it and why? Are we allowed to go there? Well, we point to Alan Dulles as one of the, as the main executioner, but that's not to say it doesn't go higher than Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles is ultimately a government servant, and he's a competent one. He's been around for years. He's done a lot of coups, done a lot of assassinations. He knows the score, mm -hmm. and he believes in a certain order, the world order of things, which, are, which is American-centric empire, and he's good at it. And, of course, he's fired by Kennedy because he's not really good at it. He's really a screw-up. He screws up the Bay of Pigs, but he's fired. But he's still the old man, and he's very much respected by the intelligence community. Kennedy's mistake is not to have cleaned out the CIA. He, he fired the top three people, but he left 
all the, uh, the Dulles lovers in there. And that's, there were a lot of them in the CIA. Not to say that the whole agency was corrupt, but there was enough people involved in this case that they were going to each covering each other's ass. And we mentioned a few of them in the film. Yeah. From George Joinides to, to Phillips, uh, David Phillips. David Phillips, right? Yes. Yeah, he's a key player in my mind. Bill Harvey, another one. These people are, were around, and their files still exist, by the way, I think, if, unless they destroyed them. But I think there's a lot of information there. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, Dulles is the executioner. He does, takes care of the details with Helms or whoever. Even Helms? On another level, he does get the okay from somebody because you can't go ahead with this and just do that. You think Even so? Dulles, no, he can't. So you don't you think he was a, the top? You can't be a renegade here. This is, a, this is an old theory like, oh, yeah, I was rogue agents. You can't be a rogue in a situation like this. This is a public execution. Right. Why do it like that? With it blow his head off in Dallas at high noon. You, you've got to get, Go you're going to have people on your side or not. Yeah. You have to have backup. So that would mean that so there the was someone else. So the cover-up itself is an acknowledgement that they were going along with it. They wanted it to be clean. Right. So, you know, when you talk to the top people, you know who they are. They're people with money. You say, you know, you got to you got to get permission from people with money. Not the government. The so government doesn't exist aside from that. I'm talking about talking to people. <clears throat> I don't want to name names, but, you yeah, know, yeah. I always wondered, you know, I, I, I met David Rockefeller. I wondered, do you talk to him? Interesting. Uh, and mm -hmm. do you talk to people like that, who uh, the people who run the agricultural industries, the, the, the huge, the steel business, the... Uh, Those who really got the power, basically. Huh? The banks, too. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Those who have the money and the power. Yeah, I'm sure Wall Street, to some degree, plays a role here. Wow. So the mafia, just, just a small well, player? Well, it's uh, mafia. There's no, you don't go to one person in the mafia. You, they had ties to various, to various people. They've used them in the past, mm -hmm. going back to Luciano in the 40s. The question is, of course, you use them on a smaller job, like Jack Ruby. You use them right. to, to clean up things. But I can't imagine using, the, uh, using them in any way as a serious... They're not going to be able to control the scene the way the government can control it. All those people that were in Dealey Plaza that day that with badges, you know, the, these are not mafia people. These it are government be, people. Yeah, yeah. Do you agree with that? Well, in the film, we, uh, we have a couple of indications about who was behind it, okay? And one of them, as he says so eloquently, is what would be Alan Dulles, mm -hmm. okay? And David Talbot, in his book, The Devil's Chessboard, outlines his ideas about Dulles's involvement, all right? The other thing that we had was Curtis LeMay. I was going to say that. Curtis LeMay who, lying about where he was that day. Secondly, disobeying, a cigar. Do, disobeying orders about where he was supposed to fly in. He was supposed to land at Andrews Air Force Base, but all the media was at Andrews Air Force Base, so he went over to National, the small one nobody was at, and which closer to the morgue. And then he goes in that night, okay, and he's standing in the gallery, and uh, Jim Humes, the pathologist, uh, tells Paul O'Connor, tell that guy over there to put his cigar out. And Paul O'Connor goes over there, and he looks, and he sees it's Curtis LeMay, and LeMay blows some smoke in his face, okay, and he comes back, goes, Jim, I can't tell that guy to put his cigar out. Curtis LeMay. Okay, you know, so... There, there, there's some shorthand about how the CIA and the Joint Chiefs, you know, who very, very against not just General Kennedy the person, but what he was doing, 
you know, were, were very likely. Because uh, remember, this is the day of, okay, the day, the, as it's happening. Yeah. You know, and he and this guy's flying around Canada and the United States, ending up at the morgue. And, and nobody, you, do you believe this? In all the years that I've researched this, nobody ever asked them about this. Mm. Nobody ever asked them about it. That's the kind of in investigation the Kennedy assassination got. It's interesting that, uh, as you know, George Wallace in, in uh, Alabama was no friend of Kennedy because of his integration of the schools there. And he, he makes the prophecy in the... Uh, in the movie, we, we put it in that uh, somebody's going to be against him. He's not going to get reelected. You know, the South is not going to be for Kennedy. Mm. It's interesting that in 68, when he runs against Nixon, he becomes a third party candidate. Who's his vice presidential candidate? Curtis LeMay. Oh, wow. So LeMay hooks up with George yeah. Wallace. I'm just saying it's, a, it's an ironic footnote to this whole affair. I don't know about this. I'm not sure. But I do think, obviously, Cubans, huge amount of Cubans were involved because they were the tools. They were the they had the radicalism necessary to go for it. So you could use them in any capacity you want as part of a plan. Among them working with Oswald, uh, as a, uh, you could use them as a, as a red flag too. You could, they could be a, a subterfuge. There's so much to talk about. So I would highly recommend people just go and watch the documentary. It's uh, available, you can buy on Amazon or you can also buy the book. <laughs> Yeah, and you can also stream it on Amazon as well. Right, you you can stream the the uh, documentary on Amazon, a very reasonable price. Okay, highly and, recommend. And you can buy the DVD package, okay, which I think is in also Blu-ray, and there's also a commentary included. With me and Oliver did a commentary on the shorter version, and here's okay, so, so we excerpted what was we had to cut. And we book. put it into the book. And there's over 200 pages nice. of those excerpts in nice. the book. So it's like a compliment yes. to this document. Yes, yes. Thank you so thank much you for so your much, time. Sir. Eloise. Okay, thank you, Eloise. Merci.